welcome to this podcast from Adelaide Place Baptist Church. We are a community of disciples, apprentices of Jesus, who live and work in the city of Glasgow, and it's our vision to join God in the renewal of all things. Our discipleship to Jesus is for all of our lives, so as well as listening to this podcast, we'd love for you to join us on a Sunday morning or get involved in one of our missional communities, which are across the city throughout the week. Our prayer is that you encounter Jesus in some way through this podcast. More information can be found at apbc.net. Morning, everybody. It's great to be speaking again with you this morning. And we're going to be back in our series on worship. You maybe remember that we're kind of um, going between two different series at the moment, one on worship and one on the book of Revelation. And I was thinking about how, uh, just a word, what might be the word that captures our intention with this, um, with this series, what we're going after, and that word is intentionality. We're asking ourselves intentionally what worship is, why it's so important to the life of the disciple of Jesus, and therefore how we might shape our worship, how it might influence and, and our understanding of our practice of worship. And so how we're going to do and think about worship intentionally, not thinking about it just in terms of um, what we do by accident or what we do just because it's comfortable or because it's what we've always done, but really considering what it is what we're doing when we worship. And so you maybe remember from last time, we were thinking about worship as story. And we said that story is one of the main ways, if not the main way, that we create meaning as human beings. And that for every cause, for every value, for every worldview, there's a story behind it, and there's a story that's driving it. And we have a story. As Christians, we're gathered together as a community on a day like today because it's a story we believe is true, a story that we believe is the greatest story because it's one that God himself is writing about himself about who he is, about what he's done, about who Jesus is. And so we were thinking about how our worship, when we gather together, whether it's in a Sunday gathering like this, or whether it's in a missional community, or even just in our own personal devotion, about how that worship should tell that story and invite us into it. You may remember as well, I made much ado about Harry Potter, and about how I think Harry Potter is actually real. And if, uh, if you want to find out how I arrive at that conclusion, then you just need to go and listen to last time. But today we're exploring how worship is participation. And now when I say participation, I wonder if you're waiting for me, just like we were a couple minutes ago, to say, right, let's all get on our feet and join in with the actions. And that will elicit different reactions from different people, I think, in that moment. What I love the most of things that we're called to participate in is I don't know if you've ever had to do an icebreaker. And as a raging introvert, the worst thing in the world, hell on earth, is an icebreaker with a bunch of people that you don't know. That's what I hate the most. And if you were around for our Christmas gathering, our family carols last year, um, you may remember we, we sung a song, we sung the 12 Days of Christmas, and there was a kind of, uh, uh, everyone had to get involved, and there was a, if you was a different categories for different days, and you had to jump up if you kind of belonged to that category. And the, you remember five gold rings was Stephen, and he had to jump up all in his, all in his lonesome. Um, and he was a good sport, but I have to tell you now that Stephen absolutely hates it. Uh, he's done it a couple times before now, and he's always a good sport, but he loathes it. Like, he really, really dislikes it, and he was practically begging us uh, and staff team not to, not to do that. But we did it anyway, because it's funny. Um, 
So, but when we're invited to participate in things, and I'm not just talking about just silly games um, necessarily, but in serious, meaningful things like what we do on here, in here on Sundays, I wonder what processes are going on behind the scenes. And I wonder, sometimes it feels like when we are being asked to participate fully in something like worship, I wonder if sometimes we can meet it with a kind of skepticism. And I'm not asking a loaded question or trying to insinuate anything about um, what we're doing here or anything like this. It's a genuine question. Sometimes we can, be, we, we can come to worship to participate and it, it, we can kind of sometimes come to it with a little bit of skepticism, a hesitation, waiting to be convinced, maybe even just a little bit apathetic. And here's a scenario for me recently, and I'm going to be just to illustrate, and I'm going to be totally transparent. This is confession time for me. And I had the pleasure um, to go along to my brother's church when we were down over uh, in England, in Bolton, um, for New Year. Uh, and it was a genuine pleasure. I was really excited to go along because they're in a new building. It's, it's a church a little bit bigger than this one. They've got a new premises. They've converted this old kind of red brick factory building. And so I was really keen to see what, they, what they've done with the place. Um, and so the service starts, and the band kicks in, and we're welcomed, and we enter into worship. And now this is just a bit of a window into my mind. And the caveat is I work for a church, so I'm not expecting it. This is half of what goes on in other people's minds. But I'm thinking about, first of all, hmm, I'm thinking about the sound. Then I'm thinking about the way the worship leader is leading. I know, I know the guy, I know the guy's leading worship. And I'm thinking, oh, he's got a cool vocal range. I'm thinking about song choice. Then I'm distracted by the fact that there's big black drapes everywhere. And I was just starting to think about like the architecture of this building that they're in. And I thought, could they not have... I don't know, made the most of the industrial vibe a little bit more and done something a bit more interesting with, with that. And then I'm distracted by the fact that there's a big, massive LED wall behind the band. And I'm in two minds about it. I'm like, on one hand, I really like it because it, it, it's a scope for a lot of creativity and visuals. But on the other hand, it's a big, massive LED wall and it's distracting me. And then I'm thinking about sound again. I would probably mix it differently if this was me. Uh, then I'm thinking about the hosts, and I'm thinking about I really like the warmth and the vitality that they bring to, to the hosting role, but I'm also thinking, I just wish there was a little bit more kind of depth to maybe some of the prayers, maybe a scripture reading, something like that. And then the preacher starts, and I'm thinking he's a really great communicator, and I'm going along with a lot of what he's saying, but uh, there's maybe a couple of things I disagree with. And I also recognize that there are a lot of things that maybe people might not like about this guy, because he's a really kind of like, you know, um, he's got charisma, and he's the kind of classic like evangelical guy, preacher, pastor leader type, and I just get why a lot of people might be rubbed the wrong way by him, but I can kind of go along with what he's thinking and saying, and then my mind's drifting off into um, um, just the form of evangelical charismatic worship and da-da-da-da-da, you know. I think you can probably know where I'm going with this. At what point was I seriously engaging with the living God, earnestly seeking his spirit, and bringing myself to participate fully in this communal expression of worship, to leave at the door... Um, a lot of the things that I bring to these kinds of things, and to just engage with God. I know we're human beings. We're always going to be distracted. We're always going to be um, uh, have our minds here, there, and everywhere. And like Rebecca just introduced us to the service this morning, there's, there's an element in which um, like, there's things going on that we bring to the, a, a time like now. But at the same time, I was just struck by how little I allowed myself to just sincerely participate with what was going on in the room, what God was maybe doing. So where does that come from? What's fueling my skepticism? What's fueling my questions, my kind of doubts, and the fact that I'm just questioning every little kind of tiny little detail? 
Why am I turning up to a different church community thinking, okay, convince me why I should be taking part? And so this might just be me, but I wonder if we really examine ourselves, we can perhaps see some of the same reactions in ourselves when we try to get behind what it is that we are thinking when we come on a Sunday. And you remember from last time, we thought about story, how we're, about in a, we're in a world at the moment that's just full of fractured and disparate and disconnected stories, and that this is perhaps contributing to something that we call the meaning crisis. And I wonder if some of these stories are interrupting our participation, creating an air of skepticism when it comes to participating fully in worship. And one of the stories that I was thinking about that has a big effect on this is just the story of consumerism, something that we're drenched in as a culture. And I was thinking about this. I think there are two sides to this story, and I think they're both having an effect on us in different ways. And so on the one hand, we can act in a very consumer mindset when it comes to participating in worship, because that's just the pattern that we see around us in the culture. It's so powerful. In the face of gigantic consumer machines that build binge-worthy TV shows and blockbuster cinematic universes and stadium-filling concerts, and enormous sporting events. In comparison, church is just like a poor production. There's no competition whatsoever. And so the temptation is that we can treat church, we can come and simply sit back and consume in the same way that we consume so many other things. Spectate, just observe what's going on, just like a few hours in the cinema. We're whisked away in a flurry of engagement for a few hours, a few hours of distraction, and then we return home, just that sense that maybe something happened, but we're not quite sure what and it certainly doesn't impact our everyday lives. But the other side of this story is that whilst we're so ingrained in this consumer mindset, I think we're also really just so thoroughly bored and exhausted and suspicious of consumer culture. On the one hand, we engage with it on face value, but on the other hand, we're also really suspicious of it. We get so much of it through our TV screens and our Instagram feeds that there's almost like nothing left. And so a big problem for churches is that it, it can be easy to play these same games of the culture around us, to become attractive, to entertain, to produce an experience. It feels like when we come to church, perhaps maybe even, does it feel like we're trying to be sold something, that we're trying to be attracted to buy in, to be one of the crowd, and so perhaps rightly we fold our arms a little bit. Actually, some of the suspicion comes from the right place. We're suspicious of things being sold to us all the time. We're actually quite tired of someone trying to convince us just to be part of what's going on. We can't shake that feeling someone is trying to sell us something. So maybe we check out, maybe we disengage entirely. And so both of these mindsets, I think, the ways that we just engage consumer culture at face value, just take part in it without questioning it, but also in the ways that we reject it and allow it to just transform and, and, and create in us a kind of apathy. I think both of these things are robbing us potentially of the participation in worship. So our text from First Chronicles that Nathan read for us, it may not be an overly familiar story to us from the Bible. Um, I can't really think of the last sermon I ever, ever heard engaged with it, but the scene is that we've landed into is one of King David at the end of his life. And he's at the end of his rule, God's appointed king of Israel, and he's beginning to pass the torch onto his son, Solomon. And Solomon's going to be the first kind of hereditary king of Israel. You remember that the, the David's predecessor, Saul, um, uh, David was in no way a relation to him. Uh, David was kind of appointed, anointed king after Saul by God. And so this is David handing down 
the kingship to his son, his lineage. And so we're witnessing uh, a consecration, so to speak, of Solomon's reign as God commissions him to do this task, to build the temple. And this temple is going to become the center of Jewish life for generations. It's the sign and symbol and in many ways the literal dwelling place of God's presence amongst his people. God has given David this kind of master blueprint of the design of the temple and it's extraordinary in its design. It's just full of opulent beauty. It's made with exquisite detail and it's made out of the most precious materials and stones. It's to be built by the most gifted craftspeople and artisans. It's enormous, it's staggering. On the inside, it's just full of color and gold and light and beauty and carvings of seraphs and and pomegranates and birds and flowers, just the majesty of creation. The design is gonna be simply breathtaking. And Solomon is being commissioned to be the one who will undertake this work to get it built. A house fit for God's presence and for the worship of God's chosen people. And so the temple is all about worship, from its architectural layout to its fine details, and then the ways in which the the priests and the people are going to do worship within its walls and within its courts. It's a marker of God's covenant to his people. It's a marker of the people's worship to a God of majesty and power and faithfulness and salvation. And so David has gathered just a huge bunch of people together for this occasion, And all the leaders and officials from around Israel were told the officers of the tribe, the commanders of the divisions, the people in charge of the royal household and all its effects, and Israel's warriors. Basically, anyone who's anyone in Israel has gathered together in this one place. It's a way of just basically gathering the entire nation without literally gathering every man, woman, and child together in one place. So it's a very important occasion. David is handing Solomon the plans. But he's also set everything else up too. He's fronted the money. He's fronted the land, the materials, and the manpower to complete the task. And he's saying to Solomon, with God's blessing, it's your task to run with this thing and build it. And what I think is important, perhaps, for us today as we think about participation in worship is the way in which the building of this temple, whilst overseen by Solomon, is something that involves a huge range of people. And this is a massive undertaking Today, because of just machinery and modern building techniques, you'll see in Glasgow all all over the place, we can throw up big buildings like it's almost nothing these days. But to construct something of this size and constituting these kinds of materials and this kind of artistry in that day was nothing short of miraculous. But also notice the way in which people give their possessions towards the building of this communal act of worship. So David says, with all my resources, I've provided for the temple of my God, gold, silver, bronze, iron, wood, onyx, turquoise, stones of various colors and all kinds of fine stone and marble, all of these in large quantities. And he talks about how much, about, how much his personal wealth he's given towards this task. He's set an example. But then he says, now, who is willing to consecrate themselves to the Lord today? And what follows is just this torrent of outpouring from all the people assembled. They gave toward the work on the temple of God 5,000 talents and 10,000 darics of gold, 10,000 talents of silver, 18,000 talents of bronze, and 100,000 talents of iron. Anyone who had precious stones gave them to the treasury of the temple of the Lord in the custody of Jehiel the Geshenite. The people rejoiced at the willing response of their leaders for they had given freely and wholeheartedly to the Lord. And like, just to give you a quick idea and a, and a picture as to the enormity of this wealth, I did a quick Google, some cursory research, and 
the caveat is all of you kind of scholars and experts in ancient quantities, don't bite my head off if I get this wrong, but 5,000 talents of gold alone would be worth about 7 billion in today's money. Give or take a couple of pence. Seven, like, so it's really hard to determine how, exactly how much these quantities were worth, but suffice to say, the point is, it's a lot. The people are giving a lot. It costs a lot. And not only is there a commitment in terms of material for the building, there's also a whole lot of manpower involved. David tells Solomon that the divisions of the priests and the Levites are ready for all the work on the temple of God. And every willing person skilled in any craft will help you in all the work. So what we see in response to this commission to build a temple is a whole community of people pouring out lavishly, fully participating in the worship of God. The temple is going to be the very presence of God's glory, the tabernacle, the ark of the covenant, and therefore placing God at the very center of the lives of the people of Israel. Just an enormous statement of allegiance and attention, a prioritization, an act of worship, and the entire nation is participating. So in Romans, we heard read, therefore I urge you, brothers and sisters, in view of God's mercy, to offer your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and pleasing to God. This is your true and proper worship. So Paul's letter to the Romans is like a New Testament mirror image to this Old Testament story. There's a parallel between the physical temple built by Solomon with the extraordinary participation of the people of Israel and us, our bodies, as we gather together to participate in worship today as the Church of Christ. And notice how clearly Paul is calling every single one of us to participate, to take our part in this. He says, for just of each of us has one body with many members and these members do not have all the same function. So in Christ we, though many form one body and each member belongs to all the others. We have different gifts according to the grace given to each of us. If your gift is prophesying, then prophesy in accordance with your faith. If it is serving, then serve. If it is teaching, then teach. If it is to encourage, then give encouragement. If it is giving, then give generously. If it is to lead, do it diligently. If it is to show mercy, do it cheerfully. And this isn't an exhaustive list by any stretch. The New Testament contains eight different lists of spiritual and other gifts that are expressions of the worship and the life of the church of Christ. There is an offering for each of us to bring. There's a talent of gold, a precious stone, a craft of artisanal quality that each of us contributes to the building of this temple of praise. There's a spiritual gift each as valuable as the next with which we can participate in building this body, a living sacrifice of worship to God whom we love and who loves us. We have this radical call to the involvement in worship, a call that just has this thread running through the entire story that God is weaving, a rich tapestry of worship in his name. So I want to just notice how these texts just paint a picture for us that's so just in stark contrast to some of the issues that we faced when we talked about earlier. Passivity, apathy, consumerism, skepticism. Do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and approve what God's will is, his good, pleasing, and perfect will. 
And these are some characteristics we can just fall into sometimes without even realizing it because we can become so conformed by the pattern of what is happening in this world. That story of consumerism that molds so much of the world around us, I think is shattered when we see the example of the sacrificial offering that the people of Israel presented to God in worship. The opposite of consumption is cheerful giving of love and worship. The people of God in this moment, they weren't apathetic. They weren't standing on the sidelines, arms folded, suspicious of David's intentions, skeptical of Solomon's ability to complete the project. Now, in response to David's question, who will consecrate themselves to the Lord? They step in, they take part, they give lavishly. An interesting thing is when we participate, worship begins to transform our hearts and our minds. It can begin to cleave us from the conformity to the patterns of the world that are only interested in each and every one of us as nothing more than units of consumption. And so it's only when we participate, really, that worship is complete. Worship isn't just a bunch of ideas or theories. It's not just something out there hanging in the air. Worship requires our participation, and each of us is invited to play our part. When we talked about worship as story, we landed on this idea that our worship ought to tell us about the story. It ought to be almost like a rehearsal of the story of God's works and his perfect character, about what he's doing through us, about what he's doing through creation. But just where the rubber really hits the road is when we step into that story, when we take our place in its telling, when we participate. And there's a truly remarkable thing happening when we think about things in this way. And our culture invites us into stories to a certain degree. And these stories can be compelling. They can be beautiful, they can be true, they can be good in their own way. But I think there's something being star- that we're being starved of when we relate to these stories. When you go to the cinema, you sit, you watch, and you may get a, fe- a sense of a feeling of involvement in that time, but you're not really being invited to participate. Same thing for, for Netflix. Arguably worse, because invariably you're on your own, or just with a couple people not with a room full of people experiencing the same thing. And so we even talked about these stories in which people do participate, in which do give meaning, in which do um, give us a sense of movement. Remember we talked about how certain political movements around things like climate change are stories in which we can participate, be caught up in giving a sense of movement and purpose and action in the world. But I believe that as far as participation is concerned, these things are just shadows of worship. And the big difference is, when we participate in worship, we aren't bringing our offerings and gifts and skills to a detached God, far away in the clouds, uninterested, unmoved, static, passive, arms folded, skeptical of what we can offer. The difference is when we worship, we participate because it's, it's there that God's spirit moves and participates with us. It's interesting to me that we call it consumerism. And because on the surface, we think, well, that's because we consume what's offered up to us, whether it's a product or a service or an experience. But in reality, I think that just as much as we consume, we are consumed by the thing. But God's desire is not to consume. God's desire is to love. God's desire is to call us sons and daughters, to adopt us into his family 
God's desire is to move towards us, to dwell within us by the Holy Spirit, to transform us. And so God's desire for us to participate in him and he in us, it led himself to be consumed on our behalf on the cross. And that's the reality of worship, I believe, when we begin to participate. And so now I think when we gather for worship, we can say things like, God's spirit is here, God is participating with us, and we can think it sounds a bit esoteric, a bit abstract. But I think Paul's words in Romans help us bring this down to the level that we can understand and truly take part in. He talks about offering our bodies as living sacrifices, as offerings of worship. And that when each of us takes part, plays our role, it's like the individual parts of a body all coming together to make a living, breathing, moving thing. And so sometimes we can make out the participation of God's spirit to be just this super thing that super spiritual people do, that the people at the front do, the ones who have the fancy words, the the ones who seem to be gifted. We need to recognize the fact that participation in the work of God's spirit moving amongst us is an ordinary, everyday occurrence. God's spirit attends when we simply just read the Bible out loud. He's present when we sing. God's spirit hovers over our conversations between friends that are deep and meaningful when someone shares a word of encouragement. He's present with us when we share in a simple meal of bread and wine. And I think this is just something really important for us to grasp. Neither is it all about whether or not we feel it. Rowan and I have had, uh, Rowan's my wife, by the way, we've had many conversations lately about how tricky it can be to bring a young family to church. It can be so stressful, especially as I'm always involved in something on Sunday morning, so I'm in early, and so uh, it can get to a point where the stress builds up so much just trying to get them through the door that sometimes, depending on the age and stage of children in family life, it can be, you get to the point where you even wonder, like, is it even really worth it? Because it's so hard to get them in the door. And by the time you get them in the door, and you've kind of wrestled them into some sort of um, compliance. And then Rowan has to often go out as well during the sermon. And then we go home and they're grumpy and tired and hungry. And you just think to yourself, was it even really worth it? And I think, well, and this is something we've been talking about just as a family, that when we change our understanding and we understand that when we're meeting with God's spirit in worship, for a young family, for example, it can be just as simple as getting through the door. It can be so hard, not just for young families. It can be hard for many people to bring themselves to participate. I genuinely believe that people, perhaps even today, you might know who you are, that there's something that it takes a lot for you to come. It takes a lot to bring yourself to show up. And I believe God absolutely wants to meet us right here in the ordinariness of commitment just to show up. I think sometimes that simple action of just showing up to participate when it's less than convenient can break more of the conformity of the world and a spirit of cynicism and apathy and consumerism than sometimes a hundred sermons. When we begin to pattern our lives intentionally, not based on whether we feel like it or because it's convenient, to participate in the design, the raising up of this great temple, this great body of praise and worship, I believe the spirit of God just shatters the cynicisms of this age. I believe that 
This is a vision that God desires for his church, for worship. For each of us just to take part in the building of this temple of praise. So why don't we just um, take some time just to still our hearts, to meet with God in the stillness, to bring ourselves fully to participate in who he is. Let's pray together. Father God, we are tired of apathy. Skepticism can be exhausting and consumerism is demeaning. And we just know that we are made for so much more. Spirit of God, we just wait for you in this place. As we wait, come and help us to be present to your moving among us. We know that your desire is to meet us. Your desire is just to be with us, to love us, to transform us. And we just want to say yes to you. We're here. We want to take part. Come, Holy Spirit, just come soften our hearts. Come and break the weariness of the world that keeps us from receiving more of your spirit, from receiving more of who you are. Come, Holy Spirit, we wait for you. Amen.